week is former World Wrestling Federation champion and the undisputed king of the ring, Bret the Hitman Hart. Absolutely, and this is the guy, David Ozark. Oh, a big time beating. Yeah, there's a little IOU there, a little receipt coming back one of these days, no doubt about the hitman Bret Hart. But what an opportunity the hitman would have against Yokozuna for the WWF Championship. Hitman, congratulations are certainly in order on being crowned the first ever King of the Ring. And we'll talk about that in just a couple of seconds. But first off, let's talk about someone doing some celebrating this weekend. We're talking about Yokozuna and this Stars and Stripes Challenge. Well, you know, for me personally, I don't really uh, concern myself too much about slamming Yokozuna. That's not like really the first priority on my mind. When I think of Yokozuna, I know I can't slam him, but one thing I do know, I know that I can beat him. He may have oh, been my. invincible before, but everybody knows, everybody who saw WrestleMania 9 knows that he was gonna be excellently executed with the sharpshooter, and if it hadn't been for Mr. Fuji, well, I'd still be the World Wrestling Federation Champion. That's true! Let's talk for just a second about being crowned King of the Ring. Your victory celebration after three grueling matches cut short by the self-proclaimed King, Jerry Lawler. I got one message for Jerry Lawler the self-proclaimed king and now he's the burger king but you know oh what even lower goodness. than that i think jerry lawler's the dairy queen because i could tell everybody that what he did to me after one of the most hardest most glorious nights of my entire career after fighting three long hard battles with three of the best to be the king of the ring and have that slime come in and ruin it for me and jump me from behind and beat me and pound me like a dog well let me say one thing Jerry Lawler I can promise you and I'll promise all my fans and all my friends and my family that I am gonna destroy you I am gonna wipe you out and I am gonna obliterate every single bit of everything you stand for and you will be excellently executed by the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And I am the king of the ring. I have never seen the hitman this hot in all my lifetime or his lifetime. He is at a level. I just wish Lola was here to hear it. We'll be back. How's it hanging, peeps? Just off the floor and a little to the right, I hope. Welcome to Acceptable in the 90s. Episode 50 is in the books and we are now hurtling towards a nice round 100. Talking of nice and round, that's what my belly is thanks to the Big Meaty Cool Holiday Edition of Big Meaty Cool's Craft Beer Review. 
and we're back in the beautiful town of Buxton this week for number three in their Hop Development Ale series. This is a pale ale rather than an Indian pale ale and the third iteration of this is devoted to the Mystic Hop. And what is the Mystic Hop I hear you ask? Well, little bit about the Hop Development Ale program. It's a series of single hop pale ales which explore new and unusual hop varieties. Mystic is purportedly a daughter of Jester, which comes from the Charles Faram Hop Development Programme. It's known for providing blackcurrant, orange and passion fruit flavours. So let's take a look shall we? It's a typical British pale ale from a craft brewery and it's quite hazy. Uh, this has been stood out for a little bit because I wanted to let some of those flavours breathe before I took a taste. But it has kept its head really well. Uh, there's a little hint of oat in the head. I don't know if that's coincidence. Um, it's got a lovely smell to it, which I can pick up just fine, even though I am just coming off a cold. So apologies for my cadence in the episode today. But yeah, it looks good, smells good, but does it taste good? Well, ladies and gentlemen, do please let the BPMs take over your very soul as I give this a very satisfying quaff. So instantly you can really detect the effect that this hop has had on the taste of this pale ale because yeah it's it's quite juicy really and um, the black currant's quite subtle you pick that up more on the aftertaste but there's definitely a hint of passion fruit there and there's some orange really bursting through as well. So that is really good. I mean, one of the things that ruins a lot of these ales for um, people that what call themselves taste makers in the craft ale scene is that I do put my beers in the fridge. Um, shoot me, I like them cold, but it does mean that a lot of the flavours do seem to creep up on me towards the end of drinking a beer once it's warmed up. But this is a really good start, and for the flavours to come through while a beer is as cold as it is makes this a good one for me so yeah I'm really going to enjoy that and I'm really going to savour it for a very good reason so the reason that I'm going to savour this beer a little bit more than I normally would during recording is that we are now down to our last can of Buxton so do please stay tuned for that review next week as I have stepped a little bit out of my comfort zone for this podcast. But we now need to make a quick stop over in last week territory, as we go over the WWF Superstars report for Saturday, July the 3rd, 1993. The show emanated from the Huntington Civic Centre in Huntington, West Virginia, taped on June the 15th, 1993. In action from the show, Marty Jannetty defeated Tom Stone with a rocker dropper, followed by the dreaded flying fist drop in 2 minutes and 58 seconds. The narcissist Lex Luger defeated Rich Myers in 1 minute and 49 with the running forearm smash for what may be the last time that he's referred to by that name. The Steiner brothers defeated Barry Horowitz and Brian Costello to retain the WWF World Tag Team Championships via the Doomsday Bulldog in 2 minutes and 27. 
The 1-2-3 kid defeated Reno Riggins in an incredibly fast-paced match with a Tornado DDT in 2 minutes and 52 seconds, far and away the Superstars match of the week. Bam Bam Bigelow, accompanied by his main squeeze Luna Fashon, defeated Rudy Gonzalez with a flying headbutt in 2 minutes and 46. And in our Superstars main event, Adam Bomb with Johnny Polo defeated Jay Sledge with the Atom Smasher in 2 minutes and 54 seconds. Highlights from an ongoing storyline perspective were Bonnie Blackstone's interview with King Brett the Hitman Hart, as heard at the top of this episode, and the rematch of the century. Well, ladies and gentlemen, on this feature face-to-face, we have the opportunity to visit with the top international superstars that are currently in the World Wrestling Federation. And it is my good pleasure and privilege this week to have one of the very best from the great state of Hawaii. He is 315 pounds, and he is one of the most popular men of the World Wrestling Federation, Crush. Crush, next week in front of a national television audience on WWF Superstars, you're going to be meeting Doink the Clown. Perhaps this will be it, when we can settle this entire thing between you and this, uh, this clown. You know, me and Gene, putting my ignorance differences aside just for a second, you know what he was seen doing recently, Gene? What's that? He was seen throwing pennies on the ground. Yes. And when the kids came to pick him up, he stepped on their fingers and laughed. Gotta laughed be as he could. I'll tell you what, brother, laugh it up. Because next week, I finally get the opportunity I've been waiting for. It's going to come to me and you. This thing's been building up from my head since day one. Since me and you have met up, Doink. No more excuses. One doink, two doinks, it doesn't matter, brother. I got somebody watching my back. And we will see who has what it takes to remain in the World Wrestling Federation. All right, obviously, Crush, emotions are running high. Your adrenaline is truly flowing. And you're very much looking forward to your meeting with Doink the Clown next week in front of a national television audience. I'm counting the seconds, me and Gene. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to get my hands on him. Tell you the truth, folks, I can't hardly wait for that one myself. Next week, right here on WWF Superstars. Well, that's certainly going to be something worth watching next week. And before we go to our Monday main event, we need to take a quick look at all the happenings on this day in history, on Monday, July the 5th, 1993. In baseball, Oakland A's outfielder Ricky Henderson leads off both games of Oakland's doubleheader versus Cleveland with home runs, which only happened for the first time since 1913. Icelandic musician Bjork releases her first solo album debut on this day, and it's bloody brilliant, continuing to increase the legacy she made as part of the Sugar Cubes. Kurd gorillas murder 32 villagers in East Turkey, and in athletics, Richard Chalimo ran a world record 10 kilometers in 27 minutes, 7 seconds and 91 milliseconds. In the pop charts, Gabrielle started her second week as the UK number one with Dreams. And in the US... Yeah, <laughs> peace. R&B girl group Sisters With Voices, or SWV for short, had a new number one in the United States with Week. 
there were new movies at both sides of the box office as well, as US viewers were enjoying legal thriller The Firm, directed by Sidney Pollack and starring Tom Cruise, while Sylvester Stallone's cliffhanger started the first of three weeks at the top in the UK. But what wasn't weak was the July 5th 1993 episode of WWF Monday Night Raw, which emanated from the Manhattan Center in Manhattan, New York, and was recorded live. There were four dark matches before the event, as Barry Horowitz defeated Phil Apollo, the Head Shrinkers defeated L.A. Gore and Russ Greenberg, it's criminal that that wasn't televised, King Bret Hart defeated Mr. Hughes by DQ, and the Steiner Brothers defeated Money Incorporated to retain the WWF Tag Team Championships. As per usual, commentary came from Vince McMahon, the Macho Man Randy Savage, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yeah, we are, because we are happy with the red, the white, and the blue. 
And cue patriotism. I can't hate on it as it only happened the day before, but this might get a little bit old a little bit quickly. I've already covered the highlights of the Stars and Stripes Challenge yesterday, but they were also covered at the start of Raw this week. But now we go to in-ring action, and this first match of the evening comes as no surprise to me as the 1-2-3 kid prepares to face the great Blake Beverly. Rest in peace, Lanny Poffo. Vince says that later on tonight we will see The Undertaker versus Samu as Heenan is shocked that The Undertaker is back. Blake gets in Kid's face as Heenan jokes about Razor becoming the new upstairs maid for Money Incorporated. Blake cheap shots Kid and then turns his back and gets drop kicked through the ropes. Kid then takes out Blake with a baseball slide before Blake returns and gets drop kicked after pancaking the Kid. Blake catches Kid with a power slam and then follows with a neckbreaker while they're using the slam heard around the world in referencing Luger's slam on Yokozuna. Blake then drops Kid with a vertical suplex onto the turnbuckle before the Kid falls outside. Blake follows out and mocks Kid as he slaps him around. The action heads back inside and then Blake quickly press slams Kid outside as Kid takes one hell of a bump. Blake tosses Kid back inside and continues to overpower him with ease. Blake pulls up the Kid after a one count though and then is able to duck a crossbody from the middle rope. Blake mocks the Kid and the notion that he could lose this match before stomping away at him. Blake drills Kid with a clothesline as Heenan says that the Kid looks like that punk Todd Pettengill. Bit of an insult to Sean Waltman really. The Kid then gets knocked outside again and then Blake flies out but misses and then the Kid heads up top to hit a somersault plancher. Kid pumps up the crowd who are chanting 1-2-3 before trying a leapfrog with his back to Blake but gets caught with a slam. Kid then avoids a top rope attack and connects with a flying leg drop for the win in 8 minutes and 2 seconds. And this was a really fun start to the show and an excellent match from these two. The mixture of Kid's fast paced repertoire and Blake's power moves melded really well together as Sean Waltman goes 2 for 2 in good matches for this episode. Heenan was absolutely amazing too with his snipes at Razor Ramon to keep that story going as well. consideration paid for by the following. Icapro, you've got to want it. No WWF figures. Give you the power of Hulkamania, the knockout prince of Virgil, the audacity of IRS, and the madness of the Macho Man. Collect new WWF figures now. Sold separately. Dig it. 
In just a few moments, the most dominant force in the World Wrestling Federation, the Beast from the Bam Bam Bigelow looks to impress his main squeeze with a decisive victory over jumping Joey Mags. Which is exactly what he did. Bigelow beats down Mags before running him over. Not with a car, obviously, with his, with his big bad body. Bigelow then hits a pair of avalanches before using a falling headbutt for the win in 41 seconds. Quite an abrupt match, but a good way to establish this dynamic between Bigelow and Vachon. The Undertaker now returns to Monday Night Raw without Paul Bearer to take on head shrinker Samu. Heenan, who was hiding under a desk during the Undertaker's entrance, Heenan, who was hiding under a desk during the Undertaker's entrance, is unsure how Taker will be able to wrestle without the urn. The Undertaker takes control early though when they uh, mess up a leapfrog spot as the Undertaker did not get up high enough. Undertaker then grounds Samu after a drop toe hold as Heenan tells us that Bearer is robbing graves in Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> Sorry, it tickled me then and it tickles me now to read it back. Samu hammers away but the Undertaker takes him down with a drop kick. Samu bails and the Affa yells at him and slams his head against the steps to get him ready. Undertaker then hits Samu with his rope walk attack and follows with a pair of clotheslines but misses an attack and rolls outside. The Undertaker stalks Affa, but that allows Samu to attack from behind. We go to break and then return with Samu ramming the Undertaker into the post. The action heads back inside where Samu power slams the Undertaker for a two count after an Irish whip sequence. Undertaker sits up after another slam and then lands on his feet after being clotheslined outside as the crowd cheers. Undertaker grabs Samu by the throat from the apron and heads back to beat down Samu. The Undertaker misses an elbow drop and then Samu hits a side slam and follows with a falling headbutt as this time the Undertaker is unable to fully sit up. Samu now heads up top and hits a flying headbutt and then tries it again but this time the Undertaker sits up to avoid the move. Undertaker follows with a choke slam and then uses the tombstone for the win in 7 minutes and 24 seconds. Now what I really liked about this match is the fact that they really played on the fact that The Undertaker didn't have Paul Bearer or this mythical urn. So it was almost like The Undertaker was fighting with his confidence, if you like, um, in thinking that this metaphorical power uh, wasn't there to help him in the match anymore. And it really showed because this was a really good back and forth contest and really hard hitting. Uh, this did just as much for Samu as it did for The Undertaker, as it allowed him to still look strong, when commentary are putting the head shrinkers over as tag title contenders. And I've got to apologise for corpsing a bit as well. There was just something about that line from Heenan. I could just picture Paul Bearer in Mobile, Alabama of all places, probably with his mate Bob Holly digging graves. And I don't know why, but it tickled me then, and it tickles me now. Anyway... Here's Vince McMahon with Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji while I compose myself. With me now, ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome, please, the reigning World Wrestling Federation champion, Yokozuna, who got slammed by Lex Luger yesterday on the USS Intrepid. Yeah, yeah, look at those red, white, blue flags. He got hip blocked as far as I'm concerned. Flags are in support of Lex Luger, yes, sir. USA! USA! 
was spoiled by Lex Luger. Not spoiled. Now you're claiming there was no slam? I tell you, Americans do not know definition between a slam and hip toss. A slam is when you pick a man above him and slam. A hip toss, I guess it is. Now, Mr. Fuji, what about the fact that you denied Lex Luger a shot at the title. Right after the slam, the challenge was issued by Lex Luger. You said no. Why? Because Lex Luger is a cheater. No good. He gets still played everything. Then he took advantage of my young Godona. At the one hour, where he defeated all professionals oh, in America, one by one. No, he took advantage of my young Godona. But I tell you what, boy, son. To make you and all the American fans happy, Wait a minute. You're stating that Yokozuna, despite Lex Luger, you can't hear yourself think here. Mr. Fuji, you won't allow Luger a shot at the title, but yet, what about somebody else? What about the hitman Bret Hart? What about the macho man Randy Savage? The hoaxer, line him up, what about him? Let me tell you, my Yokozuna will challenge any professional athlete in a WWF for his heavy dog. Anybody, anytime, anywhere, anything. Right now, if you want to, boys, uh, there's no professional athlete from the WWF who challenge my man. He'll take him down one by one like a human garbage disposal. You said that no one could slam Yokozuna, yet Lex Luger did it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Crush. First of all, I want to come out here and thank a man I had my doubts about, Mr. Luger, who made myself proud to be American on the Intrepid yesterday. When he took, when he took Yokozuna, picked him up, and body slammed him, and embarrassed and humiliated all of you guys, brother. All right, but wait a minute. Just moments ago, Mr. Fuji apparently issued a challenge, an open contract. Would someone like Crush step forward? Does an open contract, Mr. Fuji, mean anybody? Because when opportunity knocks, brother, it only knocks once in a while, and I'm here to kick the door in. Will you accept the open contract to me? Will you give me a title match with him? What about it? What are you talking about? You taking advantage of my... You, you, you just said anyone that's... Yes, you did. You said anyone who stepped forward, and this man came forward. Yes, you said... Would, let me ask you, would you accept? Will you accept the challenge, yes or no? Hey! He accepts! He accepts! Oh, yeah. What about next week? Next week! 
pride, have pride. But let me tell you, Crush will make you lose faith in Hawaii. In Kona, Hawaii, especially, you will lose faith. Yeah, I'm proud to be from the 50th state. I'm proud to be from Hawaii. But more importantly, I'm proud to be an American. And I will. I will further the embarrassment on you and Yokozuna because I will take that title for myself and for the country, brah. All right, thank you very much. Crush, along with Yokozuna, Mr. Fuji, thank you, gentlemen. The match made for next week right here. Wait a minute, please, wait a minute. Oh. Tell you one thing, Savage, what I feel think? very, very sorry for Crush because Crush is going to get the beating of his life. You don't have to feel bad for him because next week right here on Raw, he can be the new WWF champion. Oh, yeah! This August, get ready for an event so hot, we couldn't show it until the end of summer. SummerSlam 93. Feel the heat. August 30th on pay-per-view. Up next, out comes Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig to face Bert Santino. We get another quick squash here, as Perfect runs over Costello before taking him down with a dropkick. Perfect heads out and chops Costello before taking the action back inside and quickly puts him away with a perfect plex, in 60 seconds. And commentary don't mention Mr. Perfect's feud with Shawn Michaels once, and this was your main event as well. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to leave you with the thought of next week's championship matchup and leave you once again back to footage of the Intrepid where we saw an American hero. And now we go to my final thoughts. So on this week's Raw, the Stars and Stripes challenge was the primary focus here. Which is fair enough, since it had happened on the Sunday, and we now have a new babyface hero in Lex Luger. There's a world title match to look forward to next week though, as Crush finally gets his chance. The matches presented here were all decent, I mean even the squashes were as quick as they were, and these shows have been at the very least consistent over the last few weeks, and hopefully next week will promise more of the same. The night goes to the 123 Kid versus Blake Beverly. Sean Waltman has been a real pleasure on these shows, and while Blake Beverly is on his way out, it's good that he got a decent showing here. Superstar of the night goes to Crush. I know I said that it was pointless building him up, but he stood face to face with the WWF World Champion here and got himself a match for next week for the title. He was made to look like a credible threat. And that's still good enough for me. The highlight of the night was The Undertaker's return. Hopefully, he and Mr. Hughes can now have a good little programme together for the end. 
And the low light of the night was the fact that the main event was such a quick match really. There wasn't anything wrong with it, it just highlighted the fact that the arrangement of the matches was a little bit off. But we now continue with a rundown of WCW Saturday Night, broadcast on July the 3rd 1993 from the Lake Charles Civic Centre in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and was taped on June the 9th 1993. In action from the show, Rick Rude defeated Rex Cooper in quick time with the Rude Awakening Neckbreaker. Post-match, Rude was interviewed by Shivonian Ventura and reiterated his desire to win the US title. The Beach Blast Control Center ran down the big matches for the event, with the main focus being on the controversial finish of the previous US title match between Dustin Rhodes and Rick Rude that prompted the belt to be vacated. The TV title match between Ron Simmons and Paul Orndorff is now a no disqualification as well. But I think what they mean is that Paul Orndorff can lose the title by disqualification. It has been a while since I watched Beach Blast, uh, but obviously I will be watching it for the show, so I guess we'll find out together, won't we, what the stipulation actually is. Lost in Cleveland continued this week and will be featured at the end of this episode. I don't know why, because it was fucking rubbish. Pardon my French. The Masters of the Powerbomb defeated Larry Santo and Todd Zane with a double team powerbomb. Flair for the Gold is really scraping the barrel now, as Max Payne joins the Nature Boy. He hypes his upcoming match at Beach Blast with Johnny B. Bad, but this segment wasn't the best. But Max did lay some heavy licks down with Norma Jean afterwards, which Rick looked completely out of place for doing his dad dancing. Ric Flair, Arn Anderson and Paul Roma, aka The Horseman, defeated Barry Windham, Steve Austin and Brian Pillman via disqualification, when Windham threw the referee out of the ring while the figure 4 leg lock was applied. The match got the bulk of the show's time and was excellent, and is easily the match that I would recommend from all three shows. And that's your lot, cats and kittens! I'll be back next week with more mid-90s goodness, but in the meantime and in between time, stay beefy, meat ciders! Before we go to our next match here on WCW Saturday Night, the compelling saga of Cactus Jack. We've located him in the streets of Cleveland. Catherine White has located him. But he doesn't know who he is. Well, you know, maybe that's the, maybe it's a blessing in disguise for him not to know who he is, because if he does know, he'll know he's woken up in Cleveland. This week we understand that Catherine White has Dustin Rhodes to go with her to try to rejog the memory of Cactus Jack. This is Catherine White reporting for WCW back in the alleys of downtown Cleveland, where last week we found Cactus Jack but a very different Cactus Jack than the one we know. He doesn't remember his name or anything about his life, even that he's a wrestler. Convinced that he spent many years at sea, he now lives among the homeless and apparently serves as their protector. We asked his doctor about this strange turn of events and he advised us to bring Jack back to his normal surroundings or bring something or someone from Jack's former life to him. Colette, Jack's pregnant wife, begged to come with us, but considering the dangers involved, we decided to ask one of his friends, Dustin Rhodes. Well, thank you, Catherine. Just like everybody else, I've been watching your reports, and uh, I'm very concerned about Jack. 
but I'm here and I'm, I'm willing to do anything I can to, to make him feel better. Well, we appreciate your help and um, we appreciate your being here. Shall we see if we can find him? with all the time in the world to think. As a matter of fact, there's not much else he can do. But all that thinking serves him well when he's tearing into a northeaster. I didn't really believe it now, but waves looking at the The sea is a giving mother and a harsh mistress. And in that, she's like life itself. Every one of us here in this camp is preparing to face a storm of our own. But it's a storm we can weather if we just use everything we have stored in our locker. The one up here. Ahoy there, miss. I see you return, and I have a feeling it's not to listen to my stories. Who's your friend? Jack, it's me, Dustin. Dustin Rhodes. Dustin Rhodes. Dustin Rhodes? You're that country singer, aren't you? Quite popular among the mates. I've heard your albums a hundred times out there at sea. Jack, it's Dustin. We've wrestled each other. We've even teamed up. Don't you remember? What I remember is seeing that face on album covers and listening to that rich voice. Come on, you do sing, don't you? Well, I've been known to choke out a tune or two. Well, great, maybe you can come back here and sing a couple of your biggest hits for the mates. We don't get much entertainment around here. Well, <laughs> I don't have a band, but... Dustin, please. We're here to help Jack remember who he is, not book a concert. Oh, sorry. 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 Look, if you don't leave him alone, you're really gonna be sorry. Now look, lady. Last time you came barging in here, I asked you nicely to leave. Nicely? Nicely? Honey, if that was nice, I'd hate to see you in a bad mood. What are you hiding? Hmm? What are you afraid of? That is Cactus Jack. Who else would call you Bang Bang? I call her Bang Bang because of her temper. She's always firing off her cannons over the bows of other ships looking for a battle. Jack, don't you remember? Bang Bang! Bang Bang! Oh, Jack! Jack! Dustin! Oh! Dustin! Catherine! He's gone. So's my hat. Hey, let's get out of here. I think you're right. Tonight, we may have made some headway in jarring Jack's memory. We will be back to follow up on this possible breakthrough. In the daytime. Back to you, Tony.